Welcome to the Not Your Normal Social Emotional Learning Podcast. I am Nene White, and once again, we have the happy privilege of welcoming Deborah Stewart, an early childhood educator who has served a broad range of creative roles and practical responsibilities over the last 30 plus years. Deborah's website, teachpreschool.org, has an abundance of free resources that are well worth your time and attention. And since Deborah has over 1.4 million followers on Facebook, I'm definitely not the only one who appreciates what she shares so generously. In this episode, Deborah and I compare parenting styles, namely helicopter parenting and engaged parenting. I feel, and Deborah agrees, this is an urgent topic, one that will deeply impact children's lives long into their futures. And um, I do apologize for any technical difficulties and glitches that disrupted the sound quality of this interview. Deborah Stewart, thank you uh, again for joining us and sharing your experience and your deep wisdom about nurturing children uh, in all the ways that you do at your wonderful preschool. Um, so welcome. Hi. Hello. Hi. Hi. Thank you. Yeah. It's nice to be here. Um, we all know that engaged parenting is an essential influence on providing children with feelings of being loved and with building their self-worth and their self-confidence. Um, engaged parenting is it also provides guidance for children so that they have more opportunities to discover their full potential. But I want to ask you about some parents taking engaged parenting to a whole other level and what some parents, some people are calling helicopter parenting. And I wonder what you have observed to be the specific differences between engaged parenting and helicopter parenting. Well, um, the best way I can describe it is that in, the best way I can describe it is that engaged parenting, usually an engaged parent is always taking a step back. They see what's mm. going on mm. around them, and then they're taking a step back to see how can I support my child so that they can do this on their own. A helicopter parent, on the other hand, takes a step forward. And they're always saying, oh, I need to help my child do this because they're not ready or they might get hurt or they don't understand. And so they tend to want to take over. So a, an engaged parent, they both love their child deeply. They both want to see their child successful. But an engaged parent tends to take a step back where a helicopter parent tends to take a step forward. And can I explain oh, a few of those? All right. So. Let's say you have, I have a toddler grandson and what he loves to do once he learned to get those feet under him and climb on things. The first thing he had is to is a couch and he wants to run across and he's not very balanced across this couch. All right. And it causes every adult in the room a great deal of stress. All right. So nobody wants him to get hurt, an engaged parent or a helicopter parent. But the difference in reaction is. An engaged parent looks around and sees him getting ready to go. And he probably tells him to get down. You don't need to be doing that, whatever. But um, let's say that engaged parent 
you know, we want the child to be, we want to be able to walk away sometimes. And even if the child runs across that couch and we're not looking, we want the child to be okay. So the engaged parent recognizes that chances are that's going to happen. So they take a look and they move anything hazardous. Their first reaction is, hmm, well, let's just slide the coffee table a little further away. Let's make sure that when he does fall, because he probably is, he's going to be okay. He'll, he'll make it. The helicopter parent runs over and holds his hands and tries to coach him through it and, and, and hovers right there. And, and, and then, lock, you know, when he can't be available, they put gates up and they lock him out of the room. All right. So the difference is an engaged parent says, how can I help this child figure this out? And, and take a few risks and let them figure it out so they can be control and take over their own safety where the helicopter parent feels like, unless I'm there, this child won't be safe. Um, another example is besides just injuries and that kind of thing, we all care about that. It can go into things like in the classroom, an example is an engaged teacher when they're serving juice will... Um, put the pitcher of juice out and walk the child through the steps until the child can pour their own juice and take the risk that they'll overspill the cup where the helicopter teacher either pours the juice for the child or holds the child and never really gives the child a chance to work through it on their own because they don't want the mess or they're worried the child will make a mess and isn't ready and capable of doing it on their own. And so it's not just in taking risk with injury or, whether it's, um, let's take paint. So an engaged parent will hand their child, you know, different colors of paint, knowing the child's going to mix the colors. And then we'll sit down maybe next to the child and model how to paint and talk about, you know, if you put that blue brush in with that red brush, you're going to get purple. And if you keep going, you're going to end up brown and might talk them through it a little bit, but they're going to let them explore it. The helicopter parent is going to um, put the different colors of paint out. And when they realize the child might mix the colors, have a tendency to worry about that. And so remove to where there's only one color or um, hold the child's hand and, and guide them into where they want to go or stand there and say, no, 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 don't put the color. You're mixing it. Don't mix it. They'll get, they get wrapped up in things that, um, that seem important to them at the moment and less likely to let the child take the risk or explore the process freely on their own and figure it out. So those are different ways that an engaged parent works versus a helicopter parent. Hugely. And I noticed two words that kept getting uh, repeated in your uh, descriptions here, which I thought were very interesting. Risk and uh, I forgot the other one. Risk and, uh, well, risk, I mean... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, risk is risk, whether it's risking the child will spill the juice or risking the child will fall or taking a risk that the child will make a mess is all a part of parenting. And every child is going to put you through the, the, the headache of taking risk. Right. That's how they learn. That's how right. they grow and develop. But in the process, it's what we do in response, how we react. And so the engaged parent recognizes the risk. And takes a step back to see how can I help my child navigate this risk on their own. The helicopter parent takes a step forward and says, I'm going to help this child do this in the moment and, and, and has to constantly come to the rescue and, and or removes it completely from the child's uh, uh, opportunity to experience the and moment. What do you suppose are the long-term benefits in terms of uh, self-confidence, in terms of... Um courage, uh, 
bravery. Can you talk about that, please? Yeah. So when we talk about children growing, um, there's all kinds of growth is happening in a young child, emotional, social, physical, physical, cognitive, all of these things are happening. Mm -hmm. And when and, and the way these things grow naturally is by trial and error. Most of the things that children need to do is through experiences. And the more we can give them different kinds of experiences and step out of the way, the more they master, they practice and master their skills and, and get to a next level. Mm-hmm. The best way I can explain the difference between a child who's been helicoptered and a child that has been um, taught by maybe more of an engaged parent is to take a set of siblings. So in my class, we had four boys. The first boy, their brothers, the first boy that came to my school was the oldest brother. And when he came, he was the oldest in the, cl- in the, in the, of the children in this family. And he was definitely more mm-hmm. helicoptered. He definitely, you know, because the parents had time. They were his, he was the only child at the time. They watched his every move. They, you know, you know, took care of any risk and wanted him to be safe all the time. So when he came in the classroom, he was much more anxious about things. He was less relaxed. He was more um, about right and wrong and doing things good and bad and very black and white. He, um, he got upset more easily when things didn't go the way he expected them to. He um, wasn't as flexible and laid back, and he certainly lacked the confidence to just take risk and try and error and work Mm -hmm. his way through it. And so decision-making was reliant more upon the adult in the room rather than him just making his decisions for himself because he was used to that. The adults always took charge of his life. In an engaged parent, now let's look, fast forward, four years later. They've had three sons. We're on the fourth (laughs) son. And actually, it's not four. It's more like six years later. The fourth little boy comes bounding into my preschool. He's he's rough and tumble. He's not wearing, his clothes are hand-me-downs. There are holes in the knees. He can, um, he's not afraid to make decisions. He will do anything and try it, even (laughs) if he shouldn't. He's totally laid back. If he has, if he scratches his arm, he doesn't even think twice about it. You have to say, buddy you need to go get a Kleenex and clean off your arm. You just scraped it. Oh, okay. <laughs> he's, he's, he's confident. He's happy. He's excited about learning. He'll try, you know, his trial on there. He's like, what will happen if I do this? Complete difference. Now, what was the difference between the oldest to the youngest? Some of it's natural. A lot of times a first-time parent will naturally helicopter because they have sure. more time. They'll, they'll spend more time watching every move that child makes and controlling it and protecting them and putting them in this bubble and making sure that that child is successful. Their efforts and their intentions are good, sure. but they don't understand. They really just need to take a step back. But by the time that fourth kid came along, these parents didn't have time to helicopter him. They're just like, eh, you'll be fine. Get up and go do it. Right. They're, they have a whole different look on parenting. They have a whole different look on how resilient children can be and they give him lots of room to show and and develop without their interference and their control and it shows up when he comes to school so you have two extremes in the same family same parents who love their children exactly the same way and who technically were parenting the same way with the exception that they didn't have time to be there for this youngest child every move yeah 
that's the best way I can tell you. So when they come to school, you naturally see in the classroom this um, more confident, capable, I've mastered skills, I've trialed and erred, I, I understand, I have a, 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 a greater sense of boundaries and what's okay and what's not okay. Uh, because I I just had more opportunity to experience it. Sorry, is that my dog? So does oh, that help? completely, completely. And um, I always thought too with my own kids that as much as my whole heart and soul wanted them to be safe and okay, I always thought that they even wanted to be okay and um, stay alive even more than I wanted them to. And so that was part of my um, my ability to just hang back, hang back a little bit, unless there was something that they couldn't have possibly known about. Do you? Uh, does that make any sense that the child has a sense of self preservation deep inside that that a parent can rely on that as well? Absolutely. Um, young children are they naturally want to be safe. They naturally want to, they're very self um, focused. They're focused on good for me, what makes me happy. And they don't want to do, put themselves in harm's way and be unhappy or not safe. They're, they're very, they're very aware of it. Yeah. So when they're, when they're going through and, and, and running across the couch, it's not because they want to get hurt. Right. It's because they're trying to master a new skill and they're and it's fun and it's interesting it's challenging and they're looking for a new challenge and so but in that process our job is to look for the hazards to make sure that they are safe and then yet and yet at the same time um and couch may be the wrong thing because you may not want your child running across the couch sure but get the idea is that when they're in any situation where they're 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 navigating you will find that they're going to start to, when my grandson tips too close and he starts to realize he's, he's going to rock, he'll naturally pull himself back. Right. And until he got to understand, oh, this is how far I can go and this is how far I can't go. And he needed time to work through what he understood. I, I understand that I, I do have limits, but I don't know where they are yet. And the only way I can find them is not when you hold my hand because I don't feel them anymore. Right. I feel them when you're not holding my hand. Right. So they need that time to, to, to figure out their limits rather than us trying to walk them through because they, they need to figure it out on their own. Beautiful. And I have another question about how we mm-hmm. verbalize to the kids. What kind of verbal... Um, messages we can send that are not fear-based but they're constructive guidance instead of be careful or watch out what are there some other verbal messages that you would have parents and teachers use yeah instead of saying be careful just take a look at what why are you saying be careful what is the possible problem and focus on that instead hey buddy do you realize that if you get too close to the edge, you're going to topple over and bomb your head on the floor. And it is going to yeah. hurt. It's really going to yeah. hurt. So I want you to realize you have to make sure you're not getting too close yeah. to the edge. And you, you keep coaching them with what can happen or what are, the, what are the concerns that you have. And help them see it so they can put it on their radar 
But when you say be careful, what does that mean? Right. Be careful mean don't run too fast. Be careful. And why? Why shouldn't I run right. faster? And as they're older, you even want to become, if you start coaching while they're really little and you just always coach and you coach on, don't use, be careful. That doesn't give enough information. Right. Don't stop with no, no, or slow down. Why are you asking them to do this? And go ahead and just ask and, and kind of take it that step further. And it becomes really easy to do. At first, it feels kind of monotonous. And you're like, oh, this is ridiculous. But it's not. It's really easy. So then you naturally say, when I have a student running outside, let me give you a great example. I had a little boy with a big stick because we are in the woods and there's sticks everywhere. I can't hide them all. I can't remove them all. I can't take them away. Sure. So I have to help my students become smart about their management of the sticks. And this little guy had a stick that was probably as tall as he was, and he kept swinging it over the back of him uh -huh. so that he could swing it forward. The problem was that he was bopping everybody on the head behind him, and the chances were he was going to hurt someone else or himself. Sure. So I could either say, buddy, you just need to stop swinging that stick. But the minute I don't look, he's going to get another one and swing it. So what I needed to do instead, and what I did, was say, buddy, I want you to look up behind you every time to swing that stick. And I kept saying, look behind you. Now, who's behind you right now? Is anyone behind you? And what's happening? Are you touching them? Are you close to touching them? What's going to happen if you hit him? Are you going to make him cry? And so we constantly just, every time we saw him pick up stick, okay, look behind you. Do you see anyone? Until he started to realize and put it on his radar and had a spatial awareness yep. that he needed, could only learn by practicing and then mastering this understanding of the skill rather than me say, you need to be more careful. Yeah. Be more careful does not tell him what, in what way he's not being careful enough. Exactly. And then sadly, you know, you see parents or teachers getting annoyed because the child wasn't careful, but the, that phrase didn't mean anything really. It wasn't specific enough. Just as you're saying. Yeah. That's when we have a tendency to want to just take it away or remove the, remove the problem. Right. And, 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 and there will be moments when that's what you need to do. That child just maybe is not ready for that moment. Sure. But there's most of the time you're going to find that just having and repeating the, the bigger picture, helping them formulate what it is you're trying to help them be careful of or slow down or stop for. So when we, um, there are going to be things that are, are rules, like when we cross the street, you must hold my hand. We're not going to mess around with that. Right. We're not going to say, we might say, because if you don't, a car can't see you and they will run over you. Going that extra mile to help the child know why they need to hold your hands yep. is a good idea. Yes. Right. And so we'll take the time to maybe explain that. But the rule is you must hold my hand. And we're not. And so we're never going to not have that. But in an environment where there's not a major hazard, we can we can um, continue to use that same speech of when you do this, you need to be aware of that. Um, and we are able to then with the goal of or eventually stepping back rather than constantly having to step in. So there's a there is a, a guy that shared and I don't even know his name. And I, if I could find it, I will let you know. But um he says, whenever you're getting ready to intervene on something a child's doing, these, I want you to take these three steps. The first step is to always take a step back. <laughs> and the second step 
is to take another step back. <laughs> and the third step is to take one more step back. Uh-huh. And the reason why is because every time you stop and you take a step back, you'll start to look and think, first, let's see what happens and see if my child's thinking and figuring it out. Yes. Two, let's see what's around him. And is there something I need to do to help him be safe and not fall or on hurt and get hurt? But third, let's see if I can think about how to help him navigate this on his own rather than me intervening and taking over every minute. So you have to take those three steps back first. Excellent. Please do find that name for us. Um, That's a great resource. And that's really important insight because we want to raise self-sufficient, confident individuals for everyone's benefit. Yes, we want to want to raise confident capable competent i use the three words independent competent and confident those are the three things i'm looking for they can do things independent of you um with competence they can do them well they've mastered and practiced and mastered skills and with confidence they feel good they're like not afraid they don't walk around in fear and so we can parents if we if i were going to say what to walk away from don't be ruled in your parenting by your fears. Right. Instead, be ruled by your instincts. You have good instincts. Yeah. Let that be. Oh, I look at that and I can, I'm guessing you're probably going to, you know, that's not going to turn out well. So how can I help you navigate this better? Yeah. Instead of your fears, oh, 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 you're going to fall. Yeah. Stop, sit down, be careful. And I'm going to come over and grab your hand. Yeah. So, or I'm going to hold your hand because I don't want you to have the experience of the fall and feel sad. You know, I have so many kids who don't know how to cope well in today's oh. classrooms. They, 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 their coping skills are super weak. And that's because their parents love them so much that they take away all the things that the children actually need to help cope. They, if they fall and get a boo-boo, they cry uh, extremely unnecessarily. Like it's, it's like the end of the world. Yeah. Like they've never seen blood before and they've never yeah. had a boo-boo and they, and they've never had a scrape. It's, it's a very dramatic experience, far more than I ever saw it uh-huh. 10 years ago. And so what we want to do is let the children have these experiences and know the bumps and bruises, whether they're, um, whether it's it's physical bumps and bruises or sometimes even like, oh, I, I tried this with a friend and he didn't like and he got mad at me. How can we help our children learn at a really early age to cope and be confident and know that it's going to be okay in the midst of when it's not okay? If the earlier you can start helping your child develop those coping skills, the more they're going to feel confident and capable and be competent young children all the way through high all the way up through their school years. So we want to start that early through natural experiences, everyday experiences and relaxing, taking a few steps back. Hallelujah, sister. Hallelujah. That's just such important wisdom for the next generation. Um, your website is teachpreschool.org and you have so many good resources on there. I can't recommend you enough highly and I love Love, love interviewing you every time, Deborah. Thank you. Well, thank you. And I love coming to coming to spend some time with you. Um, <laughs> yeah, teach. I'd love to have people come and visit me anytime. We share all kinds of things from our classroom on the blog. So uh, and what we've been doing 
in in and out of the classroom. Sometimes I share a little bit about my grandparents, yes. my grandchildren, but mostly about it's all good. It's all good and happy and wonderful. Thank you, Deborah. Thank you. Enjoy you the rest too. of your afternoon. Bye. Important food for thought, yes. If you have more questions, concerns, additions, or even disagreements with this topic, we hope you'll share them with us. Write to us at ask at kidsownwisdom.com. And remember, if you haven't already, if you would please give us a rating so that this podcast can become more visible to teachers and parents of young children for everyone's advantage. And of course, keep learning for and with the young children in your care for everyone's well-being and ongoing progress.